0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. It was interesting. My, my original plan for Daily Thunder this morning, uh, I tossed out, <clears throat> which I rarely ever do. Uh, Eric is more prone to uh, last minute changes. <clears throat> but Uh, Last night I was pondering that idea of just fleshing out that idea of jealousy again from that we talked about last time and I was kind of looking at the whole idea of what I've been walking through with this idea of soul drift and I just had this thought of like hmm and so as I was praying last night and just this morning I was just freshly pondering and thinking and I decided to kind of go another direction uh, this morning so we're just this is going to be fun Uh, and it's going to be an adventure Uh, It'll be good. Uh, I want to do a quick, just a quick review and a thought, and tie it into this idea that I I feel like I've hinted at throughout the series, but I haven't emphasized. And I just want to go back, and I think it'd just be a fresh and helpful reminder for our souls, just in light of everything that we've talked about thus far in the series itself. We've been talking about, even in the last session, this idea that what we are called to uh, is a exclusivity of devotion. In other words, what God is asking of us is that if we are his possession and he is our possession, then that relationship needs to be exclusive. And we looked at that idea yesterday of, of this idea of jealousy that <clears throat> when there's a threat to the relationship, that there should be this jealousy that rises up within us that says, no, 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 I, I'm not, al- not going to allow the threat to exist in my life or in this relationship. And it's interesting that when you walk through all of Scripture, there is this beckoning into an exclusive devotion, an exclusive relationship with God Almighty. And I thought this was such a delightful concept as we were walking through the Shema. Now, I understand you guys weren't here in that part of the series, but in the early part of the series, we were walking through Deuteronomy chapter 6, looking at the Shema. The Shema is probably the most quoted passage in human history. Uh, this was the passage that uh, Moses would repeat over and over and over again through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, this was the passage that kind of became the, the declaration of the Jew or, or, the, or, or the Israelite. Uh, this was the statement that you would read at the very beginning of the synagogue time. Uh, this is a statement that upon waking every morning, every good Jew would quote it. Before going to sleep, they would quote it. Uh, In fact, there's good evidence that Jesus probably said this twice a day in his his entire life. Like, this was ingrained in the life of Israel. In fact, this is still ingrained in the life of Israel. And it's interesting, when you look at the Shema, the emphasis is exclusivity of devotion. And I want to read you the Shema, and I'm giving you my amplified version. So this is, when we went through the Shema, and we were unpacking all these different elements What do they actually mean because when it says to love the lord your god with all of your heart I think of emotions But when we're looking at the hebrew idea, it's more than just your heart. It's your heart and your mind Your soul is not just the inward stuff. It actually includes the physical which is a weird concept to me that my my soul is All of this it's the totality of who I am And your mind isn't just your muscles Uh, Because some of us could love God more than others, if that was the case. Uh, Or some of us would have a lot less of love for God, I guess, would be a better way of saying it. But when it says might, it's talking about the totality of everything that you have. Your talent, your resource, your money, your time, all of that stuff. So look at what Moses says to Israel in Deuteronomy 6. Again, this is my amplified version, putting all that together in an expanded form. But Moses writes, Shema, or listen, listen. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Again, it's an exclusive relationship. And Moses says that you shall love Yahweh your God with this covenantal, voluntary, passionate love. This idea where, as you worship, you become more like the one that you love the most, and you are to love him with all of your inner person, your heart, your your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, your intentions. With the whole of your life, your soul, that idea of all that you are, and with everything that you have, your talents, your ability, your possessions, your money, your time, everything. That what we are called to is to love God with all that we are and all that we have. And really the question that confronts everyone is, are we loving God with all that we are and all that we have? Uh, We've been using this as the definition for idolatry just over the last uh, however many episodes this has been, but it's looking to anyone or anything besides Jesus to meet my needs. So the calling in my life then is to love God with absolutely everything, that with the totality of my life and with the totality of everything that I have, I am to pursue God, that I am to love him with everything. So idolatry then is not doing that idolatry is looking to something else to to meet my needs idolatry is to turn my gaze upon anyone or anything and actually beginning to love that more than i love god that i am delighting in it or i'm focusing upon it or i am building my life around it more than i'm building my life and focusing and delighting in god almighty which then brings us back to what we talked about last time this idea of jealousy Look, look at what john says in his epistle first john 5 21 he says little children this is the very last verse of the book in fact it's actually in an odd place when you follow the flow he just ends abruptly and says guard yourself from idols but when you look at the context of the entire book of first john you, you notice that the context is all about this idea of having fellowship with god and this god as john describes him in the, his epistle is a god who was light who is love, and who is life itself. And, and, and if God is light, then there should be no darkness within, within us because there's no darkness within him. That, that if he is love, then we are to love him with everything. That if he is life, then we need a new life in him. And so John says, hey, you are to have this intimate fellowship with the God of the universe. And then it's interesting to me that he, ends the book by saying, and guard yourself against idols. And it seems like a weird placement, but if you look at the the, the tone of the entire book, he's building this argument of, oh, you can have intimacy. Oh, you can have this great fellowship. Man, you can get wrapped up in this thing with Jesus. And he ends by saying, you need to guard yourself against anything that would threaten that, which is this idea of jealousy. That, That you are to guard against any threat that may come against your life in your relationship with jesus uh this is this is how we define jealousy at least last last time and i tweaked the definition for clarity's sake it's almost the same but i just this morning was looking at it and said i'm going to tweak it a little bit so here's jealousy jealousy is the ardent desire to maintain an exclusive devotion within a relationship in the midst of a threat to that devotion in other words, I am to guard and protect my relationship that I have in this exclusive devotion when there is a threat against that devotion, when there's a threat against that relationship. And so as we talked about last time, am I willing to stand up and guard and protect the intimacy and the relationship and the oneness that I have with Jesus Christ? That any time that I see my, myself have this propensity to go off into the world and and to have the mindset of culture and to start engaging and dabbling in in the delights that sin offers would i be willing to recognize that and say no 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 i am not going to allow that garbage to threaten my relationship with jesus so i am willing and jesus went pretty severe on this idea remember this you know if if your if your hand is causing you to sin cut it off i don't think he meant that literally because that doesn't deal with the heart issue right? I mean, I can poke out my eye, but I can still lust. So the issue is not the hand and the eye. The idea, though, is it's the severity of how far are you willing to go to deal with the threat against this exclusive relationship. Here's what I was pondering last night and this morning. Do you realize that none of this makes sense if I don't know who my God is? A lot of us just attend church and, and a lot of us just go through the motions and we know when to stand up and we know when to sit down. And, and so we have an intellectual understanding of our God. And if all we have is an intellectual understanding of our God, then it's almost like, well, what is the big deal? Because I'm just going through the motions and I'm, I'm doing all the regulations and the requirements. So is, isn't he happy that I'm doing the, the regulation stuff? But do you realize that God is not interested in regulation? He's not interested in rule-keeping. He's interested in relationship. And, And as such, if we actually got to know who our God is, if we actually knew his character and we knew his attributes and we knew his life, then there is such an infinite value in knowing him that it would be a lot easier for us to go, yeah, I don't want anything to threaten that. i think in our generation if i can change the metaphor or just as an illustration i I think in our generation we have little value for freedom because we've never had to fight like they did in former generations but do you realize that if, if you had to fight and struggle for freedom and it took a lot of effort to maintain it and guard and protect then the moment you have it you'll do everything you can to keep it does that make sense Because you realize the infinite value of what you just paid a dear price to have. I think if, to come back to God, I think most of us just don't know how wonderful and triumphant our God is. Because if we actually knew how good he is, if we actually knew his character and his nature, if we actually knew the triumphant reality of him, if we actually knew what he purchased and what he's accomplished and what he's promised in this book, then do you realize that you would, you would give everything? There would be no cost too great to give up for the sake of holding and maintaining relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he is, has an infinite value. He has an infinite worth. And yet I don't know if we know that. So here's a couple thoughts. Faith, this idea of belief, right, this action of faith, If you're going to have faith, it demands an absolute trust. We are called believers. And as such, if you are going to function as a believer, that means you are walking in faith. You are doing the action of belief. But if I'm actually going to have faith in God and I'm going to believe Him, then it's going to demand an absolute trust in Him. Because how am I going to believe Him if I don't trust Him? How how am I going to put my faith in Him if I don't trust Him? Uh, Maybe a good illustration of this would be the life of Abraham. When you look at Abraham, God calls Abraham, and God says, okay, I'll I'll follow you. But as you follow the progression of Abraham's life, what you begin to realize is that as God proves himself faithful, as, as Abraham begins to walk in a greater reality of knowing who God is, his faith grows, his trust increases, and God is able to actually do more and more through Abraham because Abraham trusts his God Absolutely, to the point where he's willing to take the promise, Isaac, his only begotten son, and willingly sacrifice him to a god that he knows so intimately that he trusts him, saying, God, you are not like all the other pagan statues that the the culture is worshiping. I know that even though I've never seen this ever or ever heard about it in human history, I believe that you can raise someone from the dead. And I know you so well. I know your character and I know your goodness that I am willing to trust you absolutely. And all of this was accounted as righteousness to Abraham because he walked in faith. So get this idea. If you are called into this rich relationship with God and you are not to pursue any of the idols, that that idolatry and adultery with the world well then you're gonna to have to walk by faith but in order to walk by faith you're gonna to have to trust the one you have your faith in uh, look, look at what uh, hebrews eleven six 6 says and we've go, gone through this so many times but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him do you realize it is impossible To live the life you are called to live. It is impossible to please God without faith. But how am I going to walk in faith? Well, I have to trust Him. But then here's the outflow of that. But our faith and our trust hinges upon our knowing God. I I, I will not trust God if I don't know Him. I, I might have a basic level of trust. But when God says, hey, will you give up everything for me? The only way I, I am willingly or I'm, I am able or desirous to obey that is if I actually know him. If he says, hey, would you throw out everything? and Would you go to some foreign country? And would you go amongst these headhunters, these cannibals? And, and would you evangelize and, and be a missionary? Well, unless you know your God, you're like, no. It's interesting today that missions have has kind of taken a... Downturn. Uh, there is a lot of people, and I think part of it's just, you know, it's the Western society, it's the comfortability thing, that you know we're unwilling to give up our pizza and our air conditioning and our ice cream and you know our our feather pillows and and our nice down comforters. We are unwilling to give up the luxuries of the West to go sleep in a mud hut. It's just like, well, that seems too inconvenient. You, you know, if I go out there, I don't know if they're going to have gluten and dairy free food. I don't know if I'm going to have all my vitamins. Amazon probably doesn't deliver to that mud hut. So how am I going to function? And we actually look at this, what seems like a really cheesy cost to give up, and strangely, we're unwilling to go. Uh, we've actually had some Ellerslie students that we've, been, we've talked to recently who are just like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm unwilling to go on the mission field. Why? Well, because I'm going to have to give up all these I don't, i'm not gonna have a gym i'm not gonna have vitamins i'm not gonna have protein powder i'm not gonna have yeah and, and god wants me to you know to leverage and use his body well yeah that's true he wants you to take care of your body so that he can pour it out so that he can spill and spend it for his glory but we have all these people and, and i'm poking at the elderly thing because i i just know of the one instance there but if it's being said here it's definitely being said out there. And I look at our modern church, and do you realize there are fewer and fewer people going on the mission field? Why? Because I'm unwilling to pay a cost. But why am I unwilling to pay a cost? Because I actually don't trust God. I actually don't trust that God will supply my need. I actually don't trust that if I am gluten-free, that somehow by going over to some mission field, God will actually sustain me. Somehow I, I don't believe, I don't trust that he will supply the resources that I need, the finances. I I somehow don't believe that, does this make any sense to you? And so I'm unwilling to let go of the idols of health and let go of the idols of comfort and let go of the idols of, and not that any of those things are evil in and of themselves. you understand that? I sleep on a pillow. Praise the Lord. Now, if I hold on to that pillow so tight that I'm unwilling to ever give it up, that's an idol, But the fact that I have a pillow is not the issue. Does that make sense? I take vitamins. That's not the issue. The issue is, well, am I unwilling to give it up? And the moment I'm unwilling to give anything up in my life, that's actually a good sign that it might be an idol in my life. But do you realize the reason I see that as too high of a cost the reason I'm unwilling to let my grip loose, the reason I'm unwilling to whatever, is probably because I don't trust God enough. I don't think he's sufficient. I don't, I don't know his character enough to realize that he is a faithful God who will always provide that which he promises to provide. It's because I don't know his word well enough. And so if I don't, if I can't trust him, let me just keep going with our thoughts here. The reason I don't have faith and trust is because I don't know him. And if I don't know him, I'm not going to trust him. And if I don't trust him, I'm not going to obey him. And every cost is going to be too much. So here's the God of the universe that says, would you come out from the world? Would you set aside your idolatry and your adultery? And we're like, yeah, yeah, I know I should probably do that, but I really love my stuff over here. Why do we keep clinging to all this? it's probably because we don't know God well enough. Because if we knew God well enough and we knew his infinite worth, nothing, nothing would be too high a price to lay down for our God. Because isn't he worthy of it all? And we nod along and we sing those songs, but look at how you practically live your life. Is he actually worthy of it? So could I propose to you, a lot of us are... are, so clinging to our, whatever it may be. And the reason we're doing that is because we don't trust God enough. But the reason we don't trust God enough is because we actually don't know God well enough. John 17, three is such a great passage. Jesus, this is the high priestly prayer, and Jesus says this, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you realize what salvation hinges on? And we walk walked this through with the students, but do you know what salvation hinges on? It's not a true and false test. It's intimacy. It's relationship with the God of the universe. And Jesus says eternal life is not just knowing about God. It's not facts and details and information. The word that Jesus uses is this word for relational, experiential kind of knowledge. It's that word gnosko that we are to go intimately and experience the living God. That is salvation. That is eternal life. And do you realize that that is always the invitation? That he's always inviting us, and this is all throughout scripture, but he's always inviting us to know him. That he has given us his very word and says, I, I, I want you to know me. Be acquainted with my life. Know my heart. Know my mind. Do you realize you have access to the God? God of the universe. He has made himself known. And yet most of us don't really care. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about believers. We just want to put our time. We want to punch the time card. We want to nod our, you know, nod our heads and then go about living our lives. But do you realize that the calling on our life is to know him? Because if we know him, we will trust him more. And if we trust him more, we'd be willing to give up anything and everything for him. Psalm 46.10 is a verse you know well. Be still and know that I am God. The beckoning is, come and know me. Come, come, and, and know who I am. There's an interesting caveat that I really don't like in this verse which is that be still. Because in our modern fast-paced, distracted culture, I want to know God in distraction. And yet there seems to be something where, no, 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 the way you're going to know me is you're going to have to intentionally pursue me. You're going to have to intentionally remove the distractions, slow down, and get to know me. But that's true about any relationship, isn't it? If you're going to actually build a relationship with anybody, if, you're, if you have a friend, how, do you, how does that friendship grow and deepen? Time. You need time together. And if you're like, okay, well, I want you to be my best friend, and so I'm going to give you five minutes every week, and we're going to text. Then my guess is it's probably not going to be the best friendship. Because friendship, relationship, demands actually a slowing down and spending time and just enjoying each other, the, the presence and the, the conversation and the richness of each other. And that's very true with God. Th- this is how the New American Standard translates this verse. I love this. Cease striving and know that I am God. Be still. Cease striving. And do you know how hard that is in our culture, That is all wrapped up in busyness and distraction and the latest post and the the next heart or thumbs up, smiley face. We live in a very distracted culture, and yet God is inviting us into this sweet intimacy of knowing, but we have to give time to him. In fact, I love this quote by A.W. E. Tozier. He says, the man who would know God must give time to him. That if you actually desire to know God, we must spend time with him. So do you see this progression? we have to give time to god so that we would know him and as we get to know him we will trust him more we will see his faithfulness we will see his goodness we will be acquainted with his character and his nature and his attributes and as we get to know him our trust increases because we're like wow you are always faithful you cannot lie you are always true to your word which means lord whatever you ask i'm in whatever you want me to give up i'm in and I, yeah okay i'll give up all the bad stuff but lord if you ask for good stuff I'll, I'll give those up too because anything you ask i trust your character enough to believe that whatever you ask is actually for my good it's for your glory so lord if you want to take it all away sure lord if you want to send me into the jungles sure well lord if you want to spill and spend my life for the king and the kingdom i trust you but i won't ever do that unless i trust and know him I say all that, and it's easy to say, well, okay, I'll, I'll give God 10 minutes a day. Do you realize that's actually not going to work? You can't do the, you know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away kind of stuff and just presume that you're going to have this thriving, vibrant relationship with God. This can't be casual or occasional. We are to have a diligent, pro- intentional, intense Seeking after our God. Listen to Matthew 13. Jesus is given a parable of the kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's this man who finds his treasure. You realize this isn't just some casual, well, that's a nice treasure. I should probably do something about it at some point in my life. No, he, there's an aggress, aggressive pursuit of this, that he gives up everything. He sells all so, so he can obtain the treasure. Do you realize that that's true about your relationship with Jesus? Is Jesus worth enough in your life to not just casually or occasionally pursue him but to be obsessed with him. I know know we talked about this this week with the students, but we are made to be obsessed. And everyone in this world is obsessed with something. The question is not, are you going to be obsessed? The question is, what are you going to be obsessed with? And how we were made and designed is we were made to be obsessed with Jesus. And by the way, if you're obsessed with anything other than Jesus... That's called idolatry. But do you realize his infinite worth? And if we actually knew how valuable and how precious and exceedingly good he is, would we not be willing to give up everything for for him? Wouldn't we be willing to lay down everything and anything in our life if he asked it? Why? Because we know him. We know his character. We know his attributes. We know his heart. We know his life. We know his word. And as such, we trust him with an absolute trust. We have a predecided yes that says, Lord, anything you ask, my answer is always yes. Uh, Nathan, would you be willing to? Yes. Would you be willing to give up? Yes. Would you be able to go? Yes. And the only way you can ever do that is you have to know your God. Look at Hebrews 11 and 6 again. I I love how the New King James emphasizes this idea of seeking. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you realize that's our call? We are called to diligently go after him. We are to intimately know him. Why? Why? because he wants relationship with us he has made himself available and what is so phenomenal is that as i spend time with him and as i get to know him my trust in him increases i become more bold and confident in christ i actually quit caring what the world thinks around me and i think about only what he thinks folks most of us need jesus i mean i know we have jesus but we need jesus because we are distracted with the culture. We think too much of the people around us. We, we cater to the approval and the opinion and the affirmation of those around us. I, I understand that. I'm in that same boat. And I'm looking at all this going, Lord, I need you. Because if I'm, if I'm supposed to give up all my idols and I'm supposed to give up the adultery with the world and I'm not supposed to just play around with Jesus, that he's to be the focus and the intent and the center and the thrust of my life, well then, Lord, I need to trust you more but the only way I can trust you more is I got to know you more. And the only way to know you more is I got to spend more time with you and I need to get in your word and I need to spend time in your presence and I just, I need, to, I, need, I need to be so tight in the embrace with you that you just become bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. Would you go after Jesus? Would you Would you stop playing games with Jesus? Would you be willing to let go of whatever hold you have on the world and say, Lord, I am willing to take a risk and trust you. That if you are asking this of me, I know that it's actually for my good. And even if it's not a bad thing, Lord, I'm trusting that if you're asking for that to be removed, or you're asking for me to set that aside, or you're asking me to go somewhere, I actually trust, I'm willing to risk the fact that you know what you're doing. But those decisions become infinitely easier as we get to know him. Can I encourage you? Would you get to know him? Because the more and more we get to know him, the more idolatry and adultery just seems dumb. Now, Amy Carmichael used to quote John Tabler, who said the definition, I'm paraphrasing here, but the the definition or the the evidence of a pure life of a godly holy life is that when all those things that are not of god become strange and jarring that the more i get to know him the things that are not like his nature should be going they should cause this weird sensation in our life we're like i don't like that i don't know what that is i just don't like that well that used to be your favorite thing i know I just don't like that. that just, it's bothering me. It's like that old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But the only way that the things of this world, world are going to look strangely dim, strange and jarring, is we've got to look full in his wonderful face. We need to know Him. Can I encourage you to pursue Him afresh? Let's pray. Lord, we need You. Lord, I am I, longing to know You more. This isn't a knowing You in the sense that somehow I could fully understand You, that I can dust off my hands and say, "Woo, I'm done. Lord, this is relational, which means knowing You increases. It gets better. It gets deeper. This thing expands. This thing increases. And so, Lord, I I pray that, that I would know You more today than I knew You yesterday. That somehow this experiential, intimate kind of knowing in relationship with You would be better tomorrow than it was today. That a week from now, I know You more. A month from now, I even know You more. A year from now, could you imagine... What if this thing just would increase and expand over the next days and months and years? And as I got to know you, what would happen in my life as I began to trust you more? And Lord, there is no cost so great that I shouldn't be willing to lay it all at your feet. Lord, there shouldn't be a place so intense that I shouldn't be willing to lay down my life for the gospel there. Lord, Lord there should be nothing in my life that I should be, holding on to and gripping so tightly that I'm unwilling to let go. Not my health, not relationships, not hobbies, not activities. So Lord, I just want to freshly consecrate, surrender my life and say have at it. But Lord, I know that the only way I can say that is I've got to trust you. And Lord, I just admit I need more trust in my life which means I need to know you more in my life which means I need to spend more time with you in my life so Lord would you woo my heart would you would you pull upon my upon my life in such a way that just like an engaged couple that just can't help but spend time together and think about each other all the time and they're just lost in the la-la land of love Lord could you pursue me and and woo my heart like that where I just I just can't help myself I'm just lost in this wonder of relationship with you and this isn't having to be discipline as much as just, oh, wow, I just, I just want to know you more. Oh, I just want to be in your word and in your presence. So, Lord, I just submit I need you. Oh, I need you. But, Lord, thank you that we can have a relationship with you. So we just give you the praise and the glory in your precious name.